We're doing this. We're continuing our series called Survival Skills, Essentials for Navigating the Christian Life. When I first put this together, I thought, hmm, does this make sense? Will people really understand where I'm coming from? Because it is, it is unusual to say it this way, but I, I really think there's a problem within the church, and that is this. People do not know how to handle situations and scenarios. And I thought, what better way to deal with it than talk about survival skills within the church? And so I want to do this. I want to continue this series and actually close it out today. I want to talk to you about how to survive friendly fire. It's, a, it's an interesting topic, right? Um, one of the greatest tragedies in war is the phenomenon known as friendly fire. And it's when a soldier is accidentally uh, fired on and shot and killed by somebody that's on their side. Uh, during This was back in the 90s, Operation Desert Storm. Uh, out of One out of four American soldiers were, were killed by, by friendly fire. And, it, and it's nothing unusual to hear about. And for a matter of fact, it's nothing new. Uh, back in 1758, George Washington himself was involved with some friendly fire. Um, some can remember, according to history, about uh, Confederate General Stonewall Jackson was actually fired on and killed by one, one of his own men, thinking he was the enemy. So this has been going on for years and years and years. Uh, I read about um, the highest-ranking soldier in World War II died as a result of friendly fire. But he wasn't the only one. In that same situation, mishap, 111 other soldiers died as well because of friendly fire. This has been going on for years and years and years. But what's sad is it's been going on within the church as well. Now, I can understand... Uh, And you probably can understand, in the midst of the fog of war and the chaos and the confusion, tragedy can happen. Friendly fire can happen. But I can't understand within the church walls why we deal with friendly fire. Why do we have friends and family that fire on us and do things and say things and act in ways that they shouldn't act? Um, I, I think the answer is simply this. We're human beings. Look around. If there's anybody in here that's not a human being, we need to talk and, uh, We need to call the authorities because we're all human. We're going to make decisions to say some things we shouldn't say. And a lot of times it's because we're emotional and we're not thinking that moment, especially when we have a spouse. We say stuff that we shouldn't say and then we're like, ah, I can never take those words back. And they're going to hold on to that whether they like it or not because it's in the back of their mind now. But we do it with people that we love and friends that that we're friends with. Can people get hurt, discouraged, want to quit, disappointed? within the church because of something somebody says? The answer is yes. I mean, it's been around for years and years. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That is a lie, and you know it's a lie. Words hurt. They cut deep, and uh, and they last. And it's not always words when it comes to friendly fire. Sometimes it's actions. Something that somebody's done to you, physically, mentally, emotionally, sexually, something's happened. It could be a husband, it could be a wife, it could be a brother, it could be a sister. It could be somebody that's just a friend. And this is happening all the time. And let me say this, within the walls of the church, it's been happening since the beginning of the New Testament church, all the way back to Paul. Paul would write letters to the church saying, stop doing this. This is division, this is a problem, this is backbiting. Don't do this anymore, and this is how you handle it. And then then he would have to correct the next church, and the next church, and the next church. Why? Because it's a constant problem because the church is filled with humans. You know those liars that say, I don't go to church because of hypocrites. I call them liars because they know everywhere you go is hypocrites. No matter where you're at, you're always going to deal with hypocrites. 
But it is sad within the church that there is so many, and I'm one of them. I preach one thing and live another way sometimes, and I have to get that right and get it right and get it right. You know why? Because I'm just as human as you are. And sometimes I even commit friendly fire on those that I love. In 1967, alone was friendly fire that killed uh, over 5,373 people in the Vietnam War. Mind-blowing that that many people were killed by friends and foe. But you know, it's even more mind-blowing to think how many people within the church have been killed, spiritually speaking, hurt and wounded by the same thing, friendly fire. The church was meant to be a haven. I'm supposed to go to the church and iron is supposed to sharpen iron. We're supposed to edify one another. Instead, I feel like sometimes we're sharpening our knives so when we turn around, they're going to stab you in the back. And you're like, what? Where did that come from? And sometimes it's intentional and other times it's not intentional. Let me clarify. Friendly fire doesn't mean necessarily that they weren't intending on shooting you. There's times in war that people intentionally shot somebody and and killed them. I remember a friend of mine, he was in Vietnam, and he told me when he was on the ship, he was uh, in the Navy, and he said there was these couple of guys that just didn't sit well with the other men. And he said the next day they weren't on the ship any longer. And he said, and I know exactly what happened to them, even though I didn't participate in it, but it was friendly fire. Actually, it was friendly throw them overboard. And this happens sometimes in the church, and it drives me crazy, but we got to deal with it. So what is friendly fire? It comes from those that accidentally fire on their friends or their foes, but sometimes it's intentional. Don't be deceived because people are intentionally bringing spiritual weapons within the church, and they're using them quite often. So the question this this afternoon is, uh, what does friendly fire look like within the church, and are you a victim of friendly fire? I think friendly fires within the church is simply this. When Christians default to sinful assault on other believers. That's the only way I know how to put it. But if you're a victim, this is what you need to understand. If you're truly a victim of of friendly fire, it's because a a believer, another believer, has uh, wounded or tried to defeat you by inflicting words or actions or sinful ways upon you. I, I, I hope you understand. So right now... I need you to evaluate, have I been struck by friendly fire bullet? Is there something in my life that's been inflicted by a friend, a family, or a believer? And how do I deal with it? Friendly fire is the assault from those that are in direct access to your heart, which is really sad. They're sometimes the ones that are closest to knowing everything about you, and they use it against you. It's really sad when it's a spouse or a family member like a child within your home. But surviving friendly fire within the church requires a biblical point of view. Everybody tries to do things their own way, and it don't always work out well. You know, we don't handle it well. But in Matthew chapter 18 and verse 15, Jesus himself actually teaches us how to handle friendly fire. So I'm going to do something that's so simplistic. I love it. It's beautiful. I'm going to use one passage of scripture, one verse, and I'm going to break down each part of that verse and give to you how you are to survive friendly fire. And what does the Bible say? We have to be very careful with our tongue and the way we handle people. Uh, I, I don't conceal carry very much. My wife is always packing. She's like the mafia. But I, I, I know that people tend to be careless when they pack or carry an assault. 
uh, a rifle, if you carry a rifle, if you're in the mob, but a pistol. <laughs> Somebody told me, so I'm going to keep my AR inside my car. I don't know. I don't know. I know down south they put their shotguns in the window still. But some people become very careless with their actions, and they're just blasting people around them, spiritually speaking. A friend of mine that is in Tennessee, his son was last year, was in his bedroom, and he took his 22 out, and his son was 15 at the time, and he was spinning it on his finger while talking to his girlfriend on the phone and shot himself in the head. That Christmas Eve, he passed away. Hardest thing that that family could ever imagine to go through. What it is, is we get very careless with our actions and our words, and what ends up happening is we, we fire on people without even realizing we're firing on those people. So Jesus says in Matthew chapter 18, verse 15, how to handle this when you're fired on by friendly fire. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass, which means to sin against you, go and tell him his fault between thee, between you, and him alone. We seem to bypass that one. If he shall hear you, Thou hast gained thy brother. Hmm. It seems simple enough. Let me emphasize the word friendly. Fire. Friendly. Why is it friendly? Because the word believer is emphasized through the word brother. In other words, this is just not a random person. This is a brother or sister in Christ that's supposed to be on the same side as you. Your foes, we're in this together, but they are lashing out against you. And so now you have to make a decision. How am I going to handle this? Here we go. This is going to be short, sweet, and to the point. Follow me. Here we are in Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. The first thing you got to do, this is so simplistic. I love Jesus' writings. Go to them. Step one, go to them. Moreover, thy brother trespass or sin against thee, go. You have to go to them personally. The Bible says against you. It's very, very clear. It's about you, okay? So if we go to them personally, that means it's not about somebody else. You don't send somebody else to do the the job or to speak into the situation. This first step meant for you and that person to be dealt with. Let me put it this way. It's not a group intervention. This first step is a one-on-one conversation. If you skip this step, you've messed everything up. Step one, go to them personally. It is you and them that need to meet. And then the very next part of this verse, we're just going piece by piece, against you, go. That means go to them personally and immediately. The word go is very important to understand. You know why it's immediate? Because the Bible also in another passage of scripture says, go ye into all the world and what? Preach the gospel. That means right now. Don't put it off. Go now. When it comes to survival, when it comes to surviving um, a friendly fire, you have to understand I got to go to them personally and I got to go to them immediately. Don't put it off because the longer you put it off, the worse it's going to get. It doesn't get better on its own. You know, tomorrow I have an appointment with an eye doctor because it's just my kids are probably annoyed by my eye because I'm always looking at them like this, like a pirate. And it's just bothering me and I can't figure it out. And somebody said, well, it'll just go away on its own. I don't think so. Something's up with this eyeball, and I need to get a professional to help me with it. It's not just going to go away on its own. I need to handle it. Y'all following me? I need to immediately address it. 
The longer you wait to deal with it, the more problems will come along. You know, they say, well, it's just water under the bridge. I'm just going to leave it alone. You know, the water is still under the bridge, and it's probably not good water. You need to handle it, because if you don't, it's going to come up later. And, and if it does come up later, it's going to get worse. When I moved here from Tennessee, <clears throat> when we got into this home, we realized there's this really nice shed in the backyard. And I love this little shed because it's, so, it's, it, it's big enough to hold everything in it. But the problem was, is there's a gap underneath the shed. And that gap has allowed animals to show up at our house and live under the shed. So the animal kingdoms have realized that the Liuzzo's house provides a beautiful location to stay the night. And every spring, something new pops out. It's been raccoons. We've had a possum with its babies. We've had rabbits with its little babies. We've had a number of different animals that have showed up and ended up underneath our shed. Now, the funny, th- the funny thing about it is every, every, um, every summer, I'm thinking to myself, I need to close off the bottom of the, the shed. And Brianna says, it'll, it'll fix the problem. And I'm like, you know what? They're gone. So the possum's gone, the rabbits are gone, whatever. It's not a big deal. And the next year, another problem comes up. Like, for instance, this was seven different foxes were living underneath the shed. And they'd play in our backyard like it was no big deal. Like, they own the place. And, you know, this is a problem. At night, I couldn't see anything. I think there's another picture, too. And it's funny because at night, I couldn't see these guys. And they were hiding underneath here. And they would growl at me when I'd go in the backyard. I'm like, this could be a problem. This could be dangerous. But they ended up moving on. So I forgot about it. I didn't deal with the problem. You know when I finally started realizing it's time to deal with the problem? When a skunk decided to move in to the animal inn underneath our shed. My dog went in the yard and he went up to the car and he was sniffing around and didn't realize the skunk said, I think I'm going to get some air and go out from my uh, hotel and uh, go underneath the car, and then he sprayed Hank. And so Hank's covered with this stink, and it's in the middle of the night. It's probably 10 o'clock at night. I come home, and I'm like, no. He's still outside. Brianna's like, what are we going to do? So we send Christian up to get all these different things that we've looked up online, how to handle, how to handle us uh, when a, a dog gets sprayed by a skunk. And so we're in the yard for hours trying to get this stink off the dog. But before that happened, Hank tried to get in the house. And when he tried to get in the house, the smell got into the house. And when, when the smell got into the house, um, it caused it to just affect all of us. And it now went from one situation to another situation. And I'm like, it was just one secluded problem. Now it's a huge problem because it's affecting not just Hank, it's affecting all of us. I should have just handled the problem. I should have done it immediately. Go to them personally, go to them immediately. Because if you, if you think it's going to move on, it's not. Because it will not take care of itself. Second of all, confront them. Watch this. Matthew eighteen fifteen. Moreover, thy brothers trespass against thee. Go, and then look at the next part, and tell him his fault. Confront them specifically. Tell him his fault. The word fault means sin. 
I need you to know what you've done against me. Tell them the problem. Nobody wants to deal with sin because dealing with sin is awkward at times. It's hard to deal with at times. It's one of those situations like, I don't know if I want to talk to them about this. How will they take it? Will they understand that it hurt me and it's a problem? But it must be dealt with. And you have to be specific about it. Don't beat around the bush. Be direct about the sin that was spoken, the sin that was done against you. And no matter how awkward or difficult it is, deal with it. Go to them personally. Go to them immediately. Confront them specifically. Name the sin. If you don't name the sin and what it is, what the problem is, it will never be resolved. You say, well, I didn't get the results I was hoping for. It's because you beat around the bush and dealt with everything else except the real problem. Because you know what it is. Like when you need to talk to somebody because they've done something that you know was inappropriate or they said something that hurt you. And you're like, how do I say this? And you end up talking about everything but the real problem. I know. I've been reminded how many times I use Starbucks as an illustration, but I'm going to do it anyway. Mm. I love Starbucks in the morning, and I get uh, a shaken espresso. Now, it would be stupid of me to think that I could pull up at Starbucks, order a shaken espresso, and they're going to get it exactly the way I want without me being specific about the way I want. And I pull up and I get in. I'm like, what's going on here? Still got 2% in it. You guys put six pumps of classic in that. That's just too much. Why would I get mad at them when I wasn't specific with them? No, I have to say, no, I want sweet cream instead of 2%. And I only want three pumps of classic. And I want an extra shot because I need it today. Why? Because I want to be very specific about what I need and what needs to be taken care of for me. If you're not that same way when it comes to issues division, problem, you won't resolve it. Do you understand? Yes, it's sticky. Yes, it's awkward. Yes, it's going to be one of those things you don't want to deal with, but you've got to be specific about it. Name the sin. God has done that throughout history. Because of this, this, and this, this is what's going to happen. Name it. So you have division with your mom, your dad, your brother, your sister, or or a friend. Whatever it is, You need to meet with them and be very specific and say, you said this, and this is why it bothers me. This is how it hurt me. Hey, you've done this, and I want you to know this specific thing you've done may not be a big deal to you, but it's a big deal to me, and it has caused division between me and you, and I haven't let it go, and I want to let it go, but I can't unless we talk about this, unless we deal with this. So go to them immediately. Confront them specifically. And then this is very important too, privately. Uh, Look at the next portion of this scripture. You and him alone. Y'all see that? The word alone? Everybody with me? This is not to be done on the internet. It's not supposed to be done on Facebook. I can't stand that. You just, it's one of those things. How many are with me? You can't stand to see people throw things out there on Facebook that they shouldn't be throwing out there. It's just weird and awkward. I mean, if you got an issue with somebody, just go to them personally and do it privately and, and don't make a big scene out of it. Let me say this. Consider this private sin, not open sin. He said, well, it has affected other people. Okay, well, Jesus gives us plan A, B, and C. Plan C comes in chapter 18 and further down, I believe it's in verse 17, and he says, bring it before the church. That's plan C. That's like the worst. 
We, we don't usually see that too often. I mean, that's, that's open sin when it becomes a bigger problem because this person is not being receptive to what you're saying. Is everybody with me? You don't start off that way. You confront them specifically and you confront them privately. Sometimes you're so wound up, you're like, as soon as I see them at the family reunion, I'm going to give it to them. Or I'm going to let them know at church. I'm going to let them know how I feel. And I don't care what anybody thinks. This is the way I was raised. Nobody gives a flip how you were raised. We only care what Jesus says. Remember the way Jesus, we used to say this in the early 2000s. What would Jesus do? How would he handle it? Not how grandma would have handled it. Or your mama. Nobody cares how they handle it. What is the right way to handle it? Say, well, I'm very black and white and I am a little bit abrasive. Well, you're not resolving anything. You're just making it worse. If anything, it's like you're taking out your own gun, creating more fire. You're firing on them just like they fired on you privately. One of my greatest weaknesses is venting about someone who's done me wrong. I say to myself every time, I'm not going to say anything. I'm going to keep this between me and the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. And then something comes up. Somebody says to me, is there something wrong with on your mind? What's bothering you? And I'm like, don't say it. Don't say it. And I'll be like, oh, nothing. And then finally I'm like, well, so-and-so said this. And I'm like, I'm so, I don't know. I don't, I'm just a little frustrated. And then I drop it. And then they ask a few more questions. Before you know it, I'm spilling the beans. I'm venting. I start off really slow, like I'm really a religious person. Like, I'm just really frustrated, but I gave it to the Lord. I'm just trusting God. I'm praying about it. Five minutes later, I'm like, I want to tell you something about them. If I have another chance to talk to them, I'm going to tell them the way it ought to be and the way they should have treated me. Y'all with me? (laughs) I know. I, I hope I'm not the only one that's going through this, but... It happens. You know what just happened? It went from private to open. You say, well, it's one person. It's my buddy. It's my bestie. And they're the only one I ever talk to. Well, your bestie sometimes will tell their bestie and their bestie. And before you know it, everybody knows about your issue. Catch this. It will affect your testimony and the person that fired on you, their testimony. Because you know what we do so often? We express our frustration, we put it out there, then we get it fixed, but we forget about all the collateral damage, all the people we went to and vented to, and they're still thinking there's a problem. It could be a year later because you never went back to everybody else that you ran your mouth to and fixed the problem. Are you all with me? That's why it's private. That's why Jesus specifically said, and I think Jesus knows what he's talking about, he's the son of God, you and him alone privately. Now, also I think this is very important. This is one that can be confusing, but confront them specifically, privately, and clearly. Now, don't get this mixed up. The very next part of this verse says, if he shall hear thee. Hear. Now, this is interesting. Jesus doesn't say if he apologizes or if he agrees. He simply says if he listens. Now, you need to get this. If we can listen to each other, then we can make room for reconciliation. Listen. My goal is with Victor, if I have a problem with you, I want to confront you. I want to make it private. And we're going to talk about this, but I want to make it very clear. This is the problem. This is the issue between me and you. I want to make sure you understand. 
Now, is Victor going to say at the end of the conversation, Dave, would you please get me some sackcloth and ash so I can put it upon my head? I repent of my sin. I will no longer go any further in this direction against you, my brother. No, he don't even talk like that. But the reality is he wouldn't act like that. Most cases, they just acknowledge and they're thinking one or two things. Boy, you are, in a, you are a sensitive soul. I just got to be more careful around you. Or they're thinking, wow, that's not a big deal, but apparently it's a big deal to you. You know? All of this is going through their mind while you're just an emotional wreck. Like, I cannot believe you, what you said against me. I have not slept in a week. I am just tore from the inside out. I'm all messed up. Here's the reality. Jesus made it very clear. They need to listen and understand, but that doesn't mean they're going to say, forgive me. It doesn't mean they're going to apologize. It doesn't mean that any of those things are going to happen. But what it does mean is this. They need to understand from your heart to theirs how you operate, how you think, and how you feel at that very moment because of what they did against you. Greatest example is if you're married. I will say some things sometimes because I'm very black and white and logical. And I wanted to say to Bree, what? What? Why? What are you thinking? I don't, I don't understand why you did that. I, it doesn't make any sense, and I'll say it a certain way. And she'll later on say, you know, that was really rude the way you, you were just a jerk. The way you said that to me, and I'm thinking to myself, what? I just, I, I just told you. I mean, wh- how, do you, wh- how do you want me to say it? And for a moment, I just need to shut down. And here it is. Here what she has to say and where she's coming from. And she's going to explain to me why that was so abrasive and the way I handled it and why it was wrong. And what I need to do is, regardless of the way I feel, the way I think, and how logical I am, I need to just go, okay, I'm hearing what you're saying, and now I understand your point of view and where you're coming from, and I will be more sensitive to that. Now, am I going to repent and say, I'm sorry I was so abrasive? Not necessarily. At times, yes, I do. But in this passage of Scripture, the most important thing is, for them to clearly hear you. And Brie always says this, do you understand why this bothered me? Because men so often be like, yeah, okay. Because all I'm thinking about, I'm hungry. <laughs> or I'm tired. Amen. And I, you've lost my attention about two minutes ago. I didn't even make it that far. Barely made it two minutes. That's the way we are. But that's not the way it has to be. We have to hear and you have to speak clearly. I'll close out with this, the third one. We're just following the scripture. It's just beautiful the way Jesus laid this out. Restore them. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass or sin against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he shall hear you, thou hast gained thy brother or thy sister. Now, this is so cool. Let me make a side note here before I get into this to restore them. You restore them biblically. The side note comes from Galatians chapter 1 and verse 1. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in fault, that means sin, something bad has happened, ye which are spiritual, here's the word, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. I love this side note because restoring people has to be biblically done. And biblically restoring just means having a godly perspective. That's why it said if you're spiritual. In other words, it's not your way of doing it. It's God's way. So if you are a spiritual person, you'll probably be able to handle it right. Instead of with anger and frustration 
you're going to do it right, but also with a meek spirit. And meek spirit means gentle and kind and humble. I mean, you don't just go in it like a bull in a china shop. You, you kindly, gently approach the problem. Don't be all wound up. If you're, listen, the worst thing you can do, my wife always tells me to do this. If somebody's sent me a text or an email and I'm really ticked off about it, the worst thing you could do at that very moment is respond to it. It's the worst. You need to back up, breathe a little bit, give it some time, gather your senses, have a word of prayer maybe, and just make sure that you are handling this with a meek spirit. That means gently. Some people we say politically. I don't know. But you better do it godly. And when you're ready, then respond to it. And when you do, this is the important part, consider Biblically means you're doing it with a godly perspective, with a meek spirit, and with consideration. What do you consider? You consider you. You can stop for a minute and say, if I was in this person's shoes, what would I be doing right now and how would I be thinking? Not only that, could I end up doing the same thing they've done? Because we're all human beings. I have learned not to be quick to judge. When I left the South and the Bible Belt and the hardcore fundamental conservative mentality... Everything flipped in my mind because I realized, hello, we're all human beings. We all have the potential to do bad things. And it doesn't matter what kind of label I have. It doesn't matter if I'm a pastor, a teacher, a deacon, a trustee, or an elder within the church. We all mess up. So I need to stop and consider what's going on in this person's life before I react to it. If I'm going to restore this relationship, I need to biblically do it. And now watch this. This is so important. In order to biblically do it, and you're considering yourself, but you're also considering the 70% of their life that you do not see. In that moment, you only see 30% in that text message, that email, or that phone call. You have no idea what the other 70% of what they're going through is on the other side. You don't know if something has happened within their home, in their marriage, with their kids, and they're reacting the way they're reacting or acting the way they're acting because of those other things, that 70% that's uns- not, not able to be seen at that moment. Stop. Restore them biblically. Make sure it's a godly perspective with a spirit of meekness and consider them in yourself. But then restore them, not just biblically, but completely. You say, well, of course. How else is restoration made without being complete? Well, it's funny how many people think they restored the relationship, but they didn't completely restore it. The very last part of this verse says, thou hast gained thy brother. If you do everything Jesus said, you're going to gain your brother. To gain means sometimes to preserve or to save. In other words, you saved a friendship. I like saving friendships. I've learned when I was in Bible college, the more friends you have, the better off you are. When I was in high school, the more friends you have, the better off you are. And, and I've learned this. Even if they're not a good person, I was an acquaintance to them and kind to them. I didn't hang out with them. But I wanted them to know, I want to be like Jesus Christ. I'm here for you. I'll pray for you. I'll be there for you when you need me. I will be kind. I want to be that person. But I think what happens too often is people in relationships, they're always walking on eggshells. and Like, don't cross me. Smash. You're done. Burn that bridge. That crazy sucker thinks they're ever coming back in my life. Never, never. We're done. We're, we're over. Before you know it, you got nobody left. It's like, you know, even mom crosses. You're like, mom, you have, I know you birthed me into the world, but we're over. It's done. Never talk to you again. 
except at Christmas because I love the gifts. But outside of that, we're done. Do you see a problem there? You have to show yourself friendly in order to get friends. Our goal is to mend, restore, and fix, not burn, and destruction. So here's where it lies. You completely restore them. You are to put no restrictions on your restoration. What is restrictions? I'll tell you what, we're good if you do A, B, and C. And until you do A, B, and C, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. What is A, B, and C? Well, in my mind, A, B, and C means you're this kind of friend and it's beautiful. It's wonderful. First, bow before me and repent of your sin. That's a good start. Never, ever bring this up again. And always when you're around me, never have this personality. I want this personality. You know, we put demands on people. And then if you're good, we'll restore this relationship and we're buddies again. But don't ever cross me. It doesn't work that way. You'll follow me? If you want to live in that utopia, good luck because it doesn't exist in Christianity. We are human beings. We restore and we do it biblically and we do it completely. And completely means that our end goal is to fix the problem, not patch it. And patching it means we're holding on to some things and not letting go of some things, which creates bitterness and anger. And here's what Ephesians says about that in verse 4, chapter 4 and verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you. With all malice, and be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. I mean, come on. The only way you can do that is let go, let go, let go. If you don't let go, it's like poison. It just, it just corrupts everything. Forgiveness prevents, forgiveness prevents bitterness. Man, I think one of the most beautiful parts of this is learning that when you resolve an issue and re- restore a relationship, you are not going to necessarily get that person to repent. But you could get them to listen. And if they're willing to listen and apply what your concerns are and the sin that they've committed against you, then things will change. But you have to be willing to let all bitterness and all wrath and all anger and all clamor and all your evil speaking and venting to be put away from you. Because if not, then you are not restoring them completely. All right, I close with this because you've heard it before, maybe. If not, well, you're going to hear it for the first time. And if you already heard it, you hear it again. Brianna, my lovely wife, when we were doing vacation Bible school at our sending church, decided to help Ellie on this rope that was, it was connected in the ceiling. And the ceilings at Fellowship are massive, you know, they go so far up. And so <clears throat> Ellie was holding onto the rope and we were like, oh, she's going to fall on her head, most likely. And so Brianna was trying to help her. And on the process of helping her, she slipped and fell on her shoulder. And so when she fell on her shoulder, I thought, oh, it's definitely dislocated. Because she was like, I don't know if she was just being awkward because she was holding it like this. And she was just in pain. And she's like, I think I dislocated my shoulder. And I'm like, babe, you know, we can fix this. We can fix this. That's what I'm thinking. So I did it Hollywood style. I thought, what if I just put it back in place myself? I've seen this on different movies, like guys go against the wall and they're like, bam, and put it back in place. How about I just grab it? You know those guys, those men are in those tough movies and they're like, just put it back in place. And Well, my wife, I don't know who's dumber, my wife or me, but she was like, okay. 
<laughs> so I said, it's going to hurt. I don't know if it's going to hurt. I don't even know what I'm doing. I don't even know what direction to pull it. And I'm like, hold still. And I jerked on it really hard, putting it, I thought, back in place. And she starts crying. I'm like, ah, oh, junk. We're going to have to go to the hospital. <laughs> so we go to the hospital. And the doctor lets us know very quickly what's going on and what happened and how it was dislocated and how it's doing and everything. And he looked at me and he said, you know, she would be in a lot better shape if you just left it alone. You caused more damage by the way you handled it, and if you would have left it alone or did it the right way by coming to us and letting us gently put it back in place, there wouldn't be a problem. You know what the problem really was? I was not gentle with the problem. I aggressively tried to do it my way to put things back in place, to restore it. Paul said this to the church in 1 Corinthians, and this is closing with this verse, 1 Corinthians 12, 25. He said, that there should be no schism. That's a weird word. Schism just means split or gap. There's going to be no division within the church, the body. But that the members should have the same care one for another. When there's division, there's pain. It's a dislocated piece. This is in reference literally in the body of Christ as a dislocated bone. And it goes back in reference to the previous verse that I mentioned a few minutes ago in Galatians 6.1. To put back with meekness. That means with gentleness. To restore gently. If we're going to restore the relationships, you better determine before you open your mouth and meet with them, you're going to gently, kindly, and do it biblically. If you don't, there'll still be a division there, and it'll be dislocated, and it'll never, ever work. But let me say this. Even when you do restore it gently, even when you put it back together, it may never be the same. Brianna's shoulder has never been the same because I handled it wrong. But even when you handle it right, it's never the same. You ever met those people who say, I know it's about to rain. I can feel it in my joints. They're not superheroes. They had a, some kind of problem years ago, a broken bone, a surgery. And now they feel things. Things are different. Your relationship with your parents may never be the same. Your relationship with your spouse may never be the same. After you restore things, because there's scars and there's wounds and that tissue never goes back exactly the way it should. It's better than having the division you had where it's constantly pain and, and, and discord and problems. Are you all following me? So let's close. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ. We completely give this to you because I know I'm not the only one dealing with this schism within the church. I'm not the only one dealing with division. I have friends and family I know that are struggling just like me and some that are in this room.